covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is great to have you with us today. Have you for the next hour, probably hour plus. We'll see how long we end up going with the podcast today. But we've got a lot to get into here over the course of, well, however long we end up going. Let's deal with our uh, housekeeping items at the top, as we always do. If you ever need to get in contact with me, the best way to do so is via Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You can also uh, always uh, drop me an email if you would like, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. On this week's program, we have a couple featured guests. Jim Goulart will join us from uh, brewerfan.net. That will happen here in the next uh, five, ten minutes or so. And then later on, we are going to have a first-time guest on the program as uh, we are very, uh, very happy to be able to welcome on uh, Greg Moraz, who is the broadcaster for the Helena Brewers. First time we've had Greg on the podcast, so he's going to be coming up in just a while when we go down on the farm. Been interesting last week. I'll tell you what, this week was a long week just with everything that ended up happening. And you think back to when the week got started when we uh, last spoke. It was last Sunday. We always record the podcast on Sunday nights. It was last Sunday. They were coming off the four-game series in San Francisco. Uh, They were about to open up a four-game series against the Dodgers, and then they played the Rockies over the weekend, split the four-game series with the Dodgers, took two out of three against the Rockies going into the off day on Monday. They also had the trade deadline during that period as well. And I don't know about you, but it feels like a long time ago already uh, that the trade deadline occurred. They make a few moves overall. Uh, Mentioned the Moustakis trade and the Joaquin Soria trade on last week's podcast. And uh, then as they went into uh, the trade deadline, they end up acquiring Jonathan Scope from the Baltimore Orioles. I think the team got better. And first off... Scope is struggling as we speak right now. Uh, he's gotten a couple hits now with the club. He's going to be fine. He's off to a slow start with the team. I, I have no doubt in my mind that uh, he is going to be perfectly fine, uh, and it's all he's going to settle in. Uh, sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you go join a new team and you don't uh, you don't acclimate right away. You know, it's the opposite of Mike Mustakis. I think Mustakis uh, he 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 was a little bit slow with the bat early on, but not that slow, and he. He's doing a nice job really helping this team right now. It's taking scope a little bit longer. I'm not overly concerned. I think uh, you'd have to go another week plus without him finally getting that bat going for me to be uh, concerned. But the the two topics of conversation around the trade deadline was A, why didn't the team get a starting pitcher? And B, why did they go get Jonathan Scope? I, I think for me... First off, the starting pitcher thing, it's really simple. They didn't need a number three starter. There was on MLB Network, there was a lot of talk about, oh, they got to go get Matt Harvey now. Like after Chris Archer got traded uh, to the Pirates, oh, the Brewers have got to find a way to get Matt Harvey. No, they don't. And no, they didn't. And quite honestly, I don't think that's something that will happen uh, before the end of August when they can make a, a trade uh, via, you know, the, the waiver trade deadline. So. They, from a starting pitching standpoint, overall, big picture, they're fine. They've got a a top five ERA from starters in the National League. They're in very good shape. Now, could this team 
use a top-of-the-rotation starter? Yeah, absolutely. But there aren't a lot of those guys out there. I'd like to see Chris Archer on the Brewers, but quite honestly, how much better does Chris Archer make the Brewers? A little bit better. His stuff, he should be a number one or number two kind of guy, but he hasn't he hasn't been able to follow up with that quite yet. Now, he's probably a guy who needs to change the scenery, and maybe he'll start coming together and be that top-of-the-rotation starter for the Pirates, but you're, you're gambling on that because he hasn't shown that for the most part. He's been inconsistent, and he has not lived up to the potential that he has. And when you look at what the Pirates gave up, essentially the Pirates gave up a couple of their top prospects for someone who has not lived up to his potential. There's a gamble there. Maybe it works out for the Pirates. Maybe it doesn't. But I'm glad the Brewers did not give away a package of prospects for what it would cost to bring in someone like Chris Archer. And I'm also glad that the Brewers didn't just bring in a guy to bring in a guy. And that's not really... That's not the M.O. of David Stearns. He is a very disciplined general manager who is willing to pay. Look at what was given up for Christian Yelich. He absolutely is willing to give up prospects. He's willing to pay a steep price, but I think he's only willing to pay what he thinks something is worth. You look at Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich is worth the package of players that was sent to the Marlins uh, in that offseason trade. So that's the first thing. The second thing is there's a lot of frustration maybe from people that Jonathan Scope was brought in when maybe they didn't need that from a positional standpoint. You know, the bottom line is right now you've got third base, you've got shortstop, and you've got second base. You've got two guys that can play second base in Travis Shaw and Jonathan Scope. I guess technically you could put Mike Moustakis there. There's been some talk about that, but basically it's going to be uh, Scope or Shaw there. At shortstop, you're looking at Arcia and you're looking at Scope. At third base, you're looking at Moustakis and you're looking at, uh, at Shaw. And we actually saw Travis Shaw start at first base. But, but for the most part, you got four guys for three spots, and one of those guys is going to get the day off most days, especially if Jesus Aguilar is uh, getting the start over at first base, or even if Eric Thames is getting a start at first base. I don't think this is a scenario that you would ever want to have over the course of a 162-game season where you're telling all those guys, hey, each of you are going to get a day or two off every single week. That's, that's not a great situation for players who want to play every day. But for two months, the home stretch of the season makes a lot of sense. And this is a Brewers team that has a fantastic culture and has a fantastic uh, clubhouse. And guys are absolutely willing to put the team in front of themselves. I, I don't think Travis Shaw would be real excited about having a day off or a couple days off a week over the course of a six-month season. For the final two months of the year, knowing that he'll probably come in either as a pinch hitter or on a, de- on a you know, double switch as a defensive replacement later in the game, I think he's willing to do that. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he's had a day or two off and all of a sudden that production is really starting to get better. Now, I haven't had a problem with Travis Shaw's production all season long. Uh, I think you look at the, the, run, the, the runs that he's driven in, people get too, too, too caught up on his batting average. Just look at his ability to produce runs, and he's had a nice season. Uh, but he's gonna. Uh, he's he's had an even better last week or so since the trade was made. As far as scope goes, let's let's break this down to its core level. Who would you rather have on the roster, Tyler Saladino or Jonathan Scope? 
Now, I know Scope is starting more than Saladino would probably be starting uh, pre-Scope trade where you, you thought that most of the time it was going to be R.C. at shortstop, shot second, and Moustakis at third. But really, from a roster construction standpoint, 25-man roster, who would you rather have, Tyler Saladino or Jonathan Scope? Plus, that trade buys you some time on Keston Hira next year. Hero will probably be making his Major League debut at some point over the course of the year next year, but you're able to bring him up in a situation where he can be eased in. You can wait till after the uh, the Super 2 stuff next year so you can get that extra year of club control. Uh, that, that, at its very core, the decision to go add a Jonathan Scope, it does help the team. It, makes, uh, it provides more depth, but it's now Scope instead of Saladino on the roster. It helps you with Keston Hira, and you got your second baseman for next year. It makes a lot of sense, I think, when you look at it that way. All right, we've got a lot to get to here on the program today. Again, our uh, featured guest, we are going to be joined by Jim Goulart in just a few moments during a social media conversation. Later on in the program, we'll be talking with the uh, broadcaster for the Helena Brewers, Greg Mraz. But right now, let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, so this week's Headlines of the Week, we really touched on the big aspect of it is the fact that uh, they do go acquire uh, Jonathan Scope at the trade deadline. And uh, it, was a, it was a trade where some people didn't completely understand why that trade was made from a prospect giving up standpoint. Uh, they give up some nice players, but they don't, uh, they don't raid the farm at all from a big league standpoint to give up uh, Jonathan VR. Uh, from a pitching prospect standpoint, they gave up Luis Ortiz, who I believe at one point was the top uh, prospect pitcher in the organization, but his his development through the system had kind of slowed down a bit. He'd been passed up by people like Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns. So that's a that's probably the steepest part of the uh, trade, giving up Luis Ortiz, and we'll see what happens with him, and then a, a younger prospect uh, by the name of uh, Jean Carmona. Who uh, all get uh, who end up going back to the Baltimore Orioles uh, in that trade? So uh, you've got Jonathan Scope. He joins the team. That was the third trade that was made. Again, we hit on him last week with the uh, Mike Mustakis trade and also uh, with the uh, Joaquim Soria trade. Another headline is trying to figure out what's going to happen with Matt Albers. And we're going to talk a lot about Matt Albers coming up uh, later on uh, in the program when Jim Goulart joins us. Uh, but Matt Albers has really struggled. And I feel like you know a lot of times when we do these headlines of the week, it's about kind of the, the headline sort of stuff, whether it's uh, uh, transactions that have been made or uh, players getting awards or whatever it might be, milestones. But the Matt Albers stuff, I think, is kind of it's become a pretty big storyline for this team because it, it's amazing to see how he went from being amazingly effective to not effective at all. Five appearances. Now, there was a DL stint in the middle of those five appearances, so it goes all the way back to June 11th. But the one appearance he had prior to going on the uh, disabled list and then the four appearances since coming off the disabled list, his ERA has gone from 1.93 to 6.23. And they got to figure something out with him. they got to figure something out. And it, I don't think they want to cut bait with him for, A, you saw how effective he could be. Uh, B, he's under contract for next year as well. 
and that is uh, they, they just got he either has to get effective or they there has to be an injury there that resulted in him being on the disabled list, whatever it might be. They got to figure it out with Matt Albers. Uh, Brewers make a move on Sunday. They put in a waiver claim for Jordan Lyles from the San Diego Padres, and the Padres just let him have him. Uh, it was a weird day for the Padres. They had two waiver claims, and uh, they didn't uh, they didn't block either. They didn't try to work out a trade on uh, on either. Uh, and a couple guys who were pretty big parts of their team this year, as uh, Tyson Ross was claimed by the Cardinals, and the Padres just let them have him. And then the Brewers take Jordan Lyles. David Stearns uh, met with the media on Sunday, kind of an impromptu news conference in the back room of the uh, press box. And he said that Lyles would be used as a relief pitcher. There's some familiarity between Stearns and Lyles. Lyles was in the Houston organization when uh, Stearns was working there as an assistant general manager. And right now, the bullpen doesn't really have that long guy. Uh, whether it was a Jorge Lopez who has been sent down, the the gaggle guys who have been up and down between AAA and the Brewers, the Aaron Wilkerson's of the world, uh, the uh, Adrian Hausers, uh, guys like that who have been up and down. You can even put probably Brandon Woodruff sort of uh, into that category, Alec Asher and his couple appearances. Uh, the guys who have been up and down, up and down, and have covered multiple innings, uh, generally in blowouts, and then get sent back down to triple a they haven't really had that multiple inning kind of guy so jordan lyles may end up uh, turning into that and uh, you could always make more moves if guys pass through waivers or if the brewers are the only team to uh, claim a player off of waivers uh, there is the opportunity to uh, work out some deals don't forget neil walker who made a pretty profound impact on the brewers last season uh, he was someone who was acquired in a trade uh, that took place after july 31st so deals will continue to take place guys are going to be put on waivers all the time when you put somebody on waivers and they are claimed by another team one of three things can happen you can pull them back off of waivers you can just let that team have them and assume their uh, salary or you could try to work out a deal between those two teams as well and again the Padres with two players who were uh, big parts of their team this year not that they had a ton of success the Padres haven't been very good this year but uh, they just let two uh, players walk away and uh, the two organizations and the Brewers and the Cardinals just uh, pick up the salary and their contract and everything and just move forward like that that is this week's headlines of the week after every Brewers game signing an announcement blog and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X-Rays, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile, as we do continue on with the program. It is time for our social media conversation. Very happy to welcome back onto the podcast the original link reporter over at brewerfan.net. You can follow him on Twitter at Mass underscore Haas. That's M-A-S-S underscore H-A-A-S. It is uh, Jim Goulart. Jim, it's always great to talk to you. Appreciate your time as always. How are you doing? Doing fine, Matt. Thank you. Let's um let's start with the news of the day because the Brewers make a waiver claim on uh, on Jordan Lyles and he comes over from San Diego. The Padres had an interesting day because they have two players who have uh, been a big part of their team this year, not very successful part of their team in the sense that the team hasn't won many games, but uh, two guys who have been a big part of it and they just let them go for nothing. Brewers get one of them in uh, Lyles. What's your takeaway from uh, that waiver claim by General Manager David Stearns? 
Yeah, I think he saw the staff and he just realized that he needs, he didn't truly have that final bullpen spot in a guy that could go multiple innings. And obviously, with Lyle's um, background as a swingman, pass starter, um, you've got a guy that can maybe soak up uh, two plus, three plus innings in the right situation. And, you know, he had some familiarity with him. Um, I know they haven't made a formal move yet, or at least I don't believe they have as, as we're speaking now. Um, is, you know, as a Jacob Barnes, that was my first reaction was, well, it seemed like the, the bullpen was pretty locked in with the um, Jacob Barnes for Taylor Williams move. Um, if I'm Barnes, we'll see what happens. And also, we certainly don't know yet what's going on with, with Matt Albers and if they're able to come up with some sort of phantom situation to, to get him right. But um, I, I'm fine with the move. I, I think that uh, in the right situation that we'll, we'll see Lyles, hopefully in a blowout, saving some innings. But maybe when they're a blowout loss, um, you know, taking that uh, multi-inning stretch. You look at the guys who have been kind of the multi-inning ga- guys this year for the Brewers, and it's a bunch of guys who have been up and down from the, the from AAA. Jorge Lopez was one of them. He's not in the organization anymore. But you look at a, an Aaron Wilkerson, Alec Asher, um, Adrian Hauser, maybe to a lesser extent. Uh, they've mm-hmm. used that that mop-up guy has basically been the guy that's been on that shuttle between the big leagues and AAA, and really since Jorge Lopez was traded away, they haven't had that mop-up guy come up for whatever reason. So, as you mentioned, that is kind of a one one role in the bullpen that has not been filled recently. Well, and you say for whatever reason, it's actually for one of the best of reasons is that, um, you know, with the acquisition of, of Soria, that, that everybody is just a really a quality option that's been out there, at least six deep anyway. And, um, you know, for, for spots uh, seven and eight, um, we just they just need to uh, lock in on some flexibility, which they really don't have even with Lyles now. He, he's out of options, from what I understand. So, in my mind, it's it's August fifth as we speak. So let's see this to the end of the month. Um, they need to make do because we absolutely know that as of September first, um, not only will rosters expand throughout baseball, but the Brewers are going to take full full advantage, and we're going to see. Asher and Woodruff and Hauser, and, and they'll have all the options available to them. Right now, as far as this bullpen goes and the multi-inning guy, um, they need to get through the next three weeks plus. You mentioned Matt Albers, and, and my prediction would be they find a way to get him on the disabled list. And I always say this uh, on my show because people say, you use the term phantom DL, and I think there are situations like that, but you can find an injury on a guy, and it's maybe an injury that 90% of the time, or if they're going well, doesn't impact them enough that they would need to go on the disabled list. But when you could use them on the DL, when you could use a rehab assignment for them, uh, it, you can you can take advantage of that of that injury, whatever they have. So more often than not, guys are banged up by this point in the year. Generally, you can find something, and the the. The thing with Matt Albers right now, and I know he's he's definitely the the punching bag of of, of the Brewers fan base right now, and it's because of his lack of executing recently. But when when Boone Logan struggled, he struggled from Jump Street. He struggled from day one. It was really easy, I think, for them to finally just cut ties with him because he was never effective. Matt Albers, uh, 
five outings ago, had a 1.93 ERA. And over the course of the next five outings, that thing jumps from 1.93 to 6.23. He, he gets almost an added run per outing over the course of five outings. So the confusing thing is, Jim, we've seen him at a really high level, so I'm sure the organization isn't just going to cut bait. They want to get him back to who he was as recent as five outings ago. You know, enough of the news outlets have, have really put it right on paper there, like just within that one sentence. I don't have it in front of me, but when you see the raw numbers of exactly what's happened over these last, you know, four or five outings, it's, it's incredible. It's the kind of line that if, if you were a um if you were down in colorado springs and you were the a bullpen guy there it probably finds you out at this point because you just like it's, it's almost in, incomprehensible that every mistake he's making is getting launched over the fence right now i mean you couldn't put it on a tee and, and expect this kind of percentage so he's either it's a question of not executing to the point that He's also unlucky. It, it's it's it is madness to a way. What's interesting here too is that um, counsel is quoted multiple times um, as as saying that Albers is healthy right now. Um, so it will be interesting to see. I, I know what you're saying, but the league is going to have to really get convinced somehow that there's a tweak, a strain, something. Because this just seems, it would seem a little too obvious, um, and we'll see what extent, it, put it this way, if, if they find a way to, to come up with something creative at this point, then we'll know that any team can do this at any time, because they've just been adamant that he's fine. So we'll see. I think any team can do it at any time. Maybe we'll disagree on this, but when was the last time... A guy, they, a, a team tried to put somebody on the disabled list, and the league stepped in and said no. Well, we wouldn't know. I don't think we'd ever find out, right? I mean, if if they tried to say, um, I don't think that would ever be announced. So we we don't know that. And um, but some doctor has to put his name on a piece of paper and, and vouch for it somewhere. And I'm not sure if that comes from a uh, you know purely always a team perspective. I don't think there's a national doctor that's, you know, representing the league that's looking into these situations. So, but it, it will be pretty blatant if, if by even as early as tomorrow morning, or I guess it would be Tuesday after the off day that we find out that's the move. But, um, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I think we agree, but I'm a little, I just raise a little more of an eyebrow as to the whole, um, uh, will they truly get away with it type of thing. And I just think you the rule doesn't say that you have to find an injury that's affect yeah you know, look if he's got a if he's got a bum ankle and it's it's something that he could you know fight through most of the time, but it is an injured ankle, a doctor can say, yeah, this guy's got an ankle and he it, it could use some work on. I just I think you can find ways. I don't know I, we're, sure. we're we're not really arguing here. we're just I, I just no. I just what, think you can you find think- ways. What do you think that salary number is that the Brewers would say? Because, you know, it, um, $2.5 million for 2019, I think a lot of folks didn't realize or had forgotten that it was a two-year deal. So um, I, I just think that what is that generic number that the Brewers could say? Well, I think they ate almost $2 million for um, 
or Lefty you just mentioned, not Boone Logan. Logan yeah. So, it, you know, I, I just think that 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 is that is factoring into all this, and and like you said, he had been very good up to not that long ago. When was the last time since David Stearns has been in charge that they have completely walked away from somebody and paid them for? A year that they weren't even with the exactly. team. I mean, you know, Matt Garza was on this team because of that situation. They, there were there were mm-hmm. multiple times they could have walked away from Matt Garza, but he had a year or two left on his contract. So I I would be beyond shocked for two reasons: a because of what I just said about the whole five outings ago he had a sub two ERA, plus the fact that he's under contract for next year. I do not see any scenario where Matt Albers leaves this organization before the end of this season. Right, and a big part of that, I think, too, is September first, because if he's on the staff at that point, well, then look, he can be the the fourteenth, fifteenth man on the staff and get himself right in the right situations. Um, a lot factors into to getting to that date, and I don't want to rush things along because I want to enjoy, you know, another month of uh, of pure pennant race on top of what we're going to get in September. But it will be here fairly soon. Um, they just have to kind of hide that spot until then. So I, you know, I know we're investing, uh, you know, quite a few minutes here into the Albers discussion, but it is important in this situation where you've got. I, I think what people are overlooking is because the Brewers have been kind of tucked into this, um, locked into at minimum a wild card spot, and the division is just so darn important. But when you look at it now, I think as of this moment, when as we're speaking, um, they are two and a half up from not being in the playoffs, which is that's a, that's a weekend, you know. That's a, that's um, it's still very tight, and I think that we as Brewer fans can't assume that we're going to see at minimum a wild card game. Um, it's just so tight, and and I keep looking at the. I'm, Definitely scoreboard watching, and Atlanta and Philly are doing their thing, and the folks in the West are kind of just jostling themselves out there. Look, that was a good Colorado team that they just took two out of three from. I had put something out there on Twitter Sunday morning because this whole Sunday situation is, is a little bit of madness here. This is a team that's 15 games over 500, yet I think they're 10 under yeah. on Sundays, which makes them 20. Five over, um, you know, every other day of the week. If, if we took Sundays out of the equation, um, the percentage of wins for this team is, is even more is amazing. So I can't figure it out. I know I'm glad there's, there's fewer, um, there's, there's no weekday day games in September once you get past Labor Day. And um, although there's a, quite a few in the next several weeks, um, you know, can't do anything about the Sundays. So the Sundays, they they've got to get some kind of routine figured out. It's the it's one of the more flukish things that, that that has to be going on across MLB right now, where one particular day of the week is is ten game difference for a team that's overall been very impressive. It, it it's nuts. Yeah, and look, let me. I, I know you made kind of a, a joke that we're spending so much time here on this Albers thing, but. It did have a it did have an impact and stick with me here for a second. So on Saturday they have Albers mm-hmm. in there where it's a six run game and he had they have to go to the bullpen. They go to Soria, but then they go to Josh Hader. 
So Hader, he only yep. he, he threw a handful of pitches. He threw, I think, 14 pitches uh, on Saturday. So then they bring Hader back in on Sunday. Hader is generally a multiple-inning guy. They only pitch him one inning on Sunday. I'm guessing if Hader is not used on Saturday, he probably goes two innings on Sunday. Because Hader goes just one inning on Sunday, they go to Knable. Knable pitches that second inning. He ended up giving up that home run. Again, I thought I thought Knable did a really nice job outside of that one pitch, but Albers not being effective on Saturday absolutely impacts the game on Sunday. Yep, absolutely. Um, and... Especially, they even limited haters outing on Sunday, knowing that they had an off day on Monday. Um, yes, it's it's going to come back to this, and I just keep coming back. It was ironic that it was the Rockies in town because we know how last year ended, and um, it's just always in the back of Brewer fans' minds at this point. At least it is for me that um, every game. Um, that's why the L.A. was at 21-5. to 5. You know, that game is so much easier to take than what we saw today or some of these other close losses. If, if I rooted for a team that every loss was 21-5, to 5, yet they were still a 90-plus win team, I think I would take it because it would just mean that, okay, um, you know, what are you going to do? Um, a run differential wouldn't be great. But at least you're not living through the what ifs and uh, oh my goodness, what could be, because uh, it is going to come down to the wire, and uh, not only is it costing a potential wild card spot, but the Cubs are doing their best to let the Brewers, you know, stick around um, outside of the month of May, which I think was the last time we spoke. Matt was just right after the month of May. Um, the Brewers had used this run to go 14 games over 500. Well, as of today, they're 15 over. So it's just been this outside of May, just doing well to maintain a relatively 500 pace. And so far, that's good enough. But I don't know if 15 games over at the end of the year gets you into the playoffs and I how highly it gets you a division title. All right, so let me let me argue that a little bit with you then because I, what the raw numbers of what you said is absolutely correct. But when you break that down a little bit, they had that really, really bad run right before the All-Star break. And then I guess, you know, they lose that first series to the Dodgers after mm-hmm. the All-Star break. But uh, they have that trip to, to Miami and Pittsburgh where they only win, uh, what was it, one of nine games, and they lose two of three to the Dodgers. So they they have that really bad period, Jim, yet they've still been able to go one more game above 500. So while the raw numbers say they've played basically 500 ball, they've gone through what maybe you can hope is their one lull and they won't have another one of those again and they're back to winning. They're 3-0-1 over their course of the last four series. I feel like they've played better than 500 ball in that period. They are just, it's being completely overshadowed by the fact that they, you know, went in the tank for a week and a half, two weeks. Good point. They've certainly won their share series. A lot of two out of threes, three out of fours, um, sweeps along the way. You know, that was, that was horrific. And I, I want to thank you for not inviting me on right after the, uh, you know, just pre all-star breaks. I'm not sure what my state of mind might've been. Kudos to your guest who uh, handled that uh, particular weekend. But, um, you know, they still have three series against the Pirates, who they haven't matched up very well with at all this year. Um, otherwise, the schedule is 
pretty user-friendly. We know it's a lot of division games in September, those last three games of the season. I can't believe I'm already looking at that. But, you know, they're hosting uh, the lowly Tigers. So it's so fascinating. I've already put in for my my two days off, uh, weekdays off from work uh, for the, the, the Cubs series because it's a Tuesday, Wednesday uh, you know, mid-afternoon games coming up next uh, next week. So, well, I, yeah, week and a half, I guess I should say. But um, it, it's they did bounce back nicely. That West Coast trip uh, prior to you know the the five and one start they got off to was was very impressive. So they've been able to um, maintain coming off of that that horrid stretch, which which is impressive. And I don't see them going into another extended stretch like that, not with the offense that they've, uh, the lineup they've managed to put together here in the last week or so. At the trade deadline, they don't go acquire a starting pitcher. And it was, I was watching MLB Network that day, and I love MLB Network. I love the guys on MLB Network. I think that's the, from a television national standpoint, uh, I'll take what they put on MLB Network over just about anything else. I think they do a really nice job. So I'm not, I am not, I don't like criticizing other media members and other broadcasters and anything. So I say this not so much as a criticism, but as an observation. They were, they were shocked that the Brewers didn't make a trade. At one point, they're saying, oh, they got to get Matt Harvey. They got to get Matt Harvey. And I'm sitting here going, no, they don't. Matt Harvey doesn't make the Brewers better. If they're going to go acquire a starting pitcher, go get a guy who's a clear-cut number one starter. That's The rotation is missing a top-of-the-rotation guy. The rotation isn't missing depth. They've got depth. They've got a bunch of two, three, fours, wherever you want to slot guys. Uh, and they're, that's why their ERA, from a starter standpoint, is top five in the National League. Yeah, it's That's not a great situation to be in if you go into the National League wildcard game and you end up against the Diamondbacks or you end up against the Dodgers or a team like that that's got a, a true number one at the top of the rotation. But... Jim, how, how do you come out of the uh, the All Star or not the All Star break, but the uh, the trading deadline where they don't go acquire a starting pitcher? What was interesting was Stearns was willing to go short term, meaning no value for next year. For well, again, they have these these mutual options which never get picked up. Um, there's just never a situation. I'm having trouble remembering the last time. Um, the mutual option was picked up anywhere across the league. But basically, you knew you were picking up Soria and Moustakis just for the balance of this year. But the scope deal, which we'll see. We can talk about that uh, momentarily. But, you know, they, they know that they have him for next year. And I'm wondering if they, if Stearns was just really focused on guys like, um, you know, Gaussman with, with Baltimore or others that they just didn't quite match up with and lost out on to, to you know, focus on that pitcher who they could have next year as well. Um, there wasn't a one or two guy that you could absolutely say, hey, we're going to acquire this guy and he's going to be my starting pitcher for either the wild card game or game one of a, of a uh, division series. So kudos to Stearns. I'm, I'm all for holding on to, uh, you know, Keston Hira and some of the other top kids that they didn't deal and, you know, certainly Peralta, certainly uh, Burns, um, you know, Zach Brown with his injured ankle, but still looking like he's going to be a stud. Um, I'm glad they didn't deal from that top tier and, because there really wasn't that guy. I think the, the, the Verlander deal is going to stick out in everybody's mind, but, but 
literally decades to come because it was just a truly unique situation, and you're not going to see that, certainly not to that extent, but definitely not in the summer of 2018. There just wasn't that guy. Now, maybe Nate Evaldi might turn out to be that guy. Wouldn't you know it? It's the 115-win pace Red Sox who look like they, they hit the bullseye on that acquisition. But I don't think that was a name that Brewer fans were tossing around that we can be, oh, my goodness, we didn't get Nate Eovaldi. So, uh, yeah, comfortable with what they're, they're doing. I still think that it's going to be a unique run in the playoffs. Um, not what if they get that, you know, if, they, if we're able to enjoy that, where who will be, you know, who will be hot at the end of that September run? Is it Chase Anderson? Is it going to be, um, you know, others that get their, their balance and, and are just really ready at that time. I think if they're able to, because again, if it comes right down to the wire, they may not be able to juggle their rotation in such a way that their best pitcher is lined up for the wild card game. You might need to throw that guy on the Saturday or Sunday of the final weekend. So, so much fun for us still to come. Really is, don't you think? Oh, I, I do. I absolutely do. And this, this is going to be. I think it's. Uh... I think it's going to come down to those final couple weeks, and you're going to look at teams that have the best record in the final two weeks of the season are probably going to be teams that, if it's not the division, it certainly is the wild card. And I, I David Stearns is doing a really good job of kind of challenging, I think, people who have thoughts that have, you know, just the, the traditional baseball thinking. David Stearns challenges it in so many ways. You know, the and I, 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 I'm in there. I would have told you a year ago, maybe I would have told you three months ago, that the best baseball teams are the baseball teams that have a steady lineup and guys walk into the clubhouse every day knowing what position they're going to play and where they're going to be at in the order. And I do think that's still true for some teams, but the Brewers aren't built that way. I th- sometimes I think that's lost for the fans. And you know, if you do the like the other sport comparison, if – if you're a football team and you've got four incredible wide receivers, then you're going to be throwing it around all the time. The Brewers, the way they're built, they're built to be able to put different lineups and utilize matchups. And even from a culture standpoint, uh, the fact that the guys are so willing to take a step back for the team. I mean, you've got a two-month sprint here where a guy who's been your cleanup hitter in Travis Shaw is going to to have a day or two off every week and a guy that you just acquired in Mike Moustakis is going to have a day or two off and a guy who was just the American League uh, player of the, the week or the month or whatever scope was he's going to have a day or two off It's it, it, you may not be able to ask those guys to do that over the course of 162 games but over the course of two months these guys absolutely I think are willing to take a step back from themselves to do what they need to do to help the team and I don't think it's a coincidence that Travis Shaw is swinging such a hot bat right now during a period where he's getting a day or two off here and there. I'm so glad he is because it's not just this little hot stretch but I, a lot of uh, Brewer fans have not really appreciated that, that Shaw has been really good all year. You know, yep. um, I, I too often we I heard focus on the batting average and such. And my goodness, if you looked at everything else, and now of course the average is coming up to match everything else. One thing that um, I kind of I, I don't mourn it because um, I, I just think that we've seen the last of the great second baseman. I think Robbie Alomar, who I had such an appreciation. Um, for with his defense and, and everything else, and just watching him 
uh, you know, as, as a pure baseball fan. Um, I think Stearns has recognized that with the shift and everything else, now we're seeing this, this you're not going to see that great last pure second baseman who's just covering the entire right side of the infield now. And he's certainly taking advantage of that um, with the way that he's manipulated this roster. And I, I, I guess... You know, we'll see what happens because a lot of folks thought Keston Hero would be ready for action as early as, uh, you know, to open next year. Of course, they might manipulate some play- some service time and such. But if, if Jonathan Scope's on in this roster next year, then, then he's your starting second baseman and, and bides time for Hero. Um, but as for right now, this roster manipulation, it hasn't cost them yet. It might cost them... A, maybe a single game down the road, but it probably wins them quite a bit more than that one loss. It's going to be interesting. Everybody's going to point to the one loss that mm-hmm. happens because so-and-so didn't turn a double play or, or didn't get the range to cover that, that second base spot. And maybe they'll overlook the fact, well, yeah, but you had Shaw and, and, and hopefully a, a getting hotter scope and, and Moustakis and, Boy, if there's one guy who ever does pick up a mutual option, I hope it is. Uh, you know, it, it just looks like Mustakis is such a baseball player. Um, just and a guy that would look really good in a Brewer uniform um, into the future too. I'll tell you what I I worked for people who don't know, and I, I feel like I mentioned this on every podcast, so people are probably saying, "Yeah, Paulie, we know." Uh, but I spent ten years. <laughs> Doing uh, broadcasting minor league baseball before I, I got to Milwaukee, and uh, my first uh, I, I spent two years in the Midwest League in the Kansas City Royals organization, and it was great because much of those Kansas City Royals World Series teams I came I, I saw I saw I had Salvador Perez and Danny Duffy and Eric Hosmer and guys like that, and I had I had Mike Mustakis. It was uh, in his first full season of pro ball. He played a little short season the year before uh, when he after he got drafted. Then it was first uh, full season. Jim, but you, it, you you saw it then too, Matt. Absolutely, you saw it then. absolutely. It it jumped off the page like no other. And we're talking about a kid who's eighteen, nineteen years old. In the right, moment I right. saw him. Uh, maybe I didn't know the the profound impact he would have, and you know, leading Kansas or help leading Kansas City World Series and everything. But my God, that guy was a ball player from day number one, and his leadership that he skills that he had, you can't teach that to an eighteen year old kid. And he absolutely had that stuff when I was seeing him as well. Yeah, you know, I really appreciate um, everything that uh, Chris Maring and, and Kyle Lobner do down with Wisconsin because. Um, if you listen, and I, we always link to it in our, our daily, you know, minor league reports at Brewer Fan, but they do a great job, and I find it's one of the quickest, you know, twenty to twenty-five minute listens that that Brewer fans can appreciate is, is their podcast they do after Timber Rattler home games, and I'm not sure that's something they've ever truly touched on, and I'm hopeful that maybe there's a Tristan Lutz who's a the young outfielder right now who's, you know. Uh, Putting up good numbers, you know, age to league relative, and, and based on his his profile, and you just wonder, you know, you hope that that there's a guy in the system, or maybe he's already made his way up to Carolina or beyond. But that's that's great to hear that, you know, as a young broadcaster, you were down there and you could already see in a guy who obviously is going to go on to have not a Hall of Fame career, but a very good pro career um, in Mustakis, and, and pick up on that, and and hopefully. You know, guys like Chris and Kyle are seeing that as, as, as guys come through. It, it's not going to be many. It's going to be one out of every, you know, 25 to, to 30 or so. But um, 
those you love to hear that kind of stuff. And the the picture that went viral on social media over the weekend, where he was shopping at Target, and a kid comes up and wants an autograph, right. and uh, they're looking for a pen, and he just grabs a sharpie out of the sharpie display and says, oh, "I'll buy the pen." Like that's what that's what professional baseball players, that's what athletes across the board are supposed to do. That's a you know we we make a big deal of it because quite honestly, sometimes that's the exception of the rule, or maybe as a society we focus too much on the negative. So when a positive like that really pops out, we look at it. But that it's it's all the same thing. the The guy who's a great leader in the clubhouse is the guy who at Target buys a dollar ninety nine sharpie so he can sign a kid's hat. Right. There'd be a, a different backlash if we found out somebody else was taking the picture and, and he had just put the Sharpie back in the rack, even though he had opened it. Um, it's, um, it's wonderful to see. And uh, I don't think we realize that he was probably at target just getting some necessities. And obviously he's a guy who's, you know, a multimillionaire, like so many of the veterans are. And yet we, we just take for granted that, you know, he got traded flew, I think three time zones to get to San Francisco to join the team. He's he's back in in town, probably his first day now, and in, in getting trying to get somewhat settled in Milwaukee. So he was at Target for a reason, you know. And and some somebody recognizes him, and and there you go. And it's you never know it's going to go viral, whether it's in the, the local sports community or, or nationwide. And um, that happened too. But um, I think it also gives us a picture of. Uh, you know, these guys are hitting the ball field, but they're also just trying to get their lives in order at these, these trade deadlines. Well, Jim, uh, before we I let... Think, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I was thinking of a young kid like um, Gene Carmona was the youngster that went to um, to Baltimore in the in the Soria deal. And you just wonder to... I'm sorry, in the um, Scope deal. And, and you wonder to what extent... He, he, you know, he's, I don't believe he has a strong command of the English language at this point. He's just, you know, 18 years old. And you just hope that somebody was there to, from the Orioles um, organization from day one just to guide him because yeah. all of a sudden he's leaving. Somehow he's getting a plane from Helena, Montana to, you know, Aberdeen somewhere on the East Coast and trying to get his life settled. It's, it's amazing what can happen to these youngsters at the, at the drop of a hat. And that includes just going from affiliate to affiliate in, within the Brewers organization itself. Um, I'd love maybe some time for... Um, whether it's, again, the guys with the Timber Rattlers or, or whoever, the next time that there's a trade involving something like that, to just kind of document that and just see, wow, that's talk about a whirlwind. Um, you know, just funny what, what you think of sometimes beyond the surface of just the, the big league impact of a deal. Yeah, I remember at the end of the season in, my, in the Midwest League when I worked in that league, the day after the season ended, the club would get a bus and they would drive up to, they would go to the various airports. Some guys were flying out of Chicago. Some guys were flying out of the Quad City. Some guys were flying out of locally, just depending on where they're going. And a lot of the Latin Americans who did not speak English well, they would just get in this bus. They would just drive to to a certain airport, and they would just be let out. And I always thought to myself, "What? that's a challenge. That's not easy to deal with for them. Yeah, I mean, 250 guys in the system, and, and as you might know from Brewer Fan, um, you know, it's not impacting this pennant race, but we cover everything, you know, from Colorado Springs, but all the way down to the Dominican Academy. And I'll, I'll know once in a while that we'll see a kid just struggling with numbers that are beyond insane with strikeouts at the plate um, down, down the Dominican. And we'll go, really, you know, why is this kid playing? And you see his hometown is in Venezuela or it's a Brazilian kid or a Panamanian kid. 
And, and the Brewers told those parents, these 16, 17-, 18-year-olds, that, you know, we're going to take care of your youngster and, and bring him into the system. And even when he's they're struggling, at some point at the lower levels, you still stick with them and you at least give them that, that chance. There are going to be releases along the way, but as far as in-season and such, um, it, it's underreported and, and it's not overly important in the, in the big picture. But I, I do like the human interest aspect of these kids that are just all over the place within the system. All right, I have kept you long enough. You've been very gracious with your time. But before I let you go, uh, you guys have a great community at BrewerFan.net. Uh, give a little plug for everything that's going on and what uh, people can expect. I know most of the people listening to this are already very familiar, but for the folks who are not, uh, what can they see uh, over at the site? Yeah, it's just it's a forum experience, so we don't produce original content. The places like Brew Crew Ball and BP Milwaukee, Disciples of Euchre, um, we, we appreciate those fan sites so much, and we often link to them based on their content. But what Brewer Fan basically is, it's a community that comes together with a um, moderated forum, so uh, we try to avoid the trolls and the, the curse language and just the over-the-top emotions and that sometimes can take place. Uh, we maintain... Uh, some items, though, that do provide, I would say, content-based data, and that would be in our minor league forum, where we give you the most thorough look at the system on a daily basis. Something new I've tried this year, I've placed it on the major league side of things within our forums, is I'm doing my best to keep up with um, linking to all the various audio interviews that happen throughout the airwaves in the Milwaukee area and just have one convenient spot where hopefully within a 24-hour period um, I can place um, all the different interviews so you're just a click away from hearing them all. We appreciate all the different you know, radio spots for, for doing them to begin with, but if we can link to them in one convenient spot, now all of a sudden you're doing your errands or driving in your car or in your office, click, click, click. Maybe your 45-minute commute just went easier because you listened to six-based, you know, six... Um, Brewer-based interviews, so hopefully that's proved helpful to folks as well. We do know that we've seen a lot of uh, viewership and, and, and visitors uh, throughout uh, this, this recent run, which is just so much fun. I, I'm psyched, Matt. I can't imagine where these next two months and beyond are going to go. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a blast. Uh, he is Jim Goulart. And also follow him on Twitter, as we mentioned, at Mass underscore Haas, M-A-S-S underscore H-A-A-S. Jim, I always uh, really value these conversations. They're a lot of fun for me. So uh, thank you, as always, for taking the time. Matt, it, it goes so fast. Um, I, I do think that we're able to just hit off each other as well. So for hopefully the, the folks are enjoying the back and forth. Um, it's kind of like we're just sitting um, and I'd love to do this sometime next time I'm out there, uh, you know, just sitting side by side watching the crew. That would, that would, it feels like that kind of conversation, which I really appreciate. I agree. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, man. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to welcome onto the program a first-time guest on the podcast. He is the first-year broadcaster for the Helena Brewers, and his name is Greg Moraz. He joins us right now. Greg, thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing? 
Doing great, Matt. It's a beautiful Sunday here in the capital city of Montana. Always a good day for baseball when uh, you're at the park and call a game. Team uh, lost uh, Sunday 6-5 to Billings, losing uh, three of the last four. Maybe the uh, the record exactly where that's at right now leaves a, a little bit to be uh, desired overall. But uh, just from a from a very general standpoint, how do you feel like uh, the team has played here through uh, the first half plus of the season? So in the Pioneer League, they do playoffs by halves, and so it's a first half, second half deal. We just completed our 11th game of the second half, and so we're three games out of first place at the moment. The team, for the most part, I feel like has played really well from a starting pitching standpoint and from an offensive standpoint. The really weak link right now has been the bullpen. Uh, today we blew three different leads against Billings uh, and gave up the lead in the top of the ninth inning. On Friday night we won a game 13-12 to in which we had two different leads. Couldn't hold them either time. So uh, offense has consistently been really good uh, as a team. They're hitting 282 of the club this season, which in a hitter's league is still pretty good. Uh, pitching staff, though, has really struggled as a whole over the last month. Uh, three weeks ago, the team ERA was a 3.8, and now it's over 5.5. So uh, that's really been the biggest problem for the team. But for the most part, it's a really young group of hungry hitters and pitchers that uh, just has a lot of fun playing the game. One of the challenges, I think, of short season ball, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but roster size is a little bit bigger, correct? That is correct. So the roster sizes in this league are 35. Now, there's no disabled list in this league. But one of the bigger challenges that you face, especially if you have a lot of first-year college guys, is that you have to limit guys to two or three innings to start. So the challenges that you face are how to be able to balance out your bullpen. You can't really throw guys more than two times in the span of a week. So you basically have an availability chart that you look at, and in my media notes I always keep track of who's pitched when, and that gives me sort of an idea. If it's been about three days since they last pitched, then they have a pretty good opportunity to pitch in the next situation. Unlike the major leagues, when guys have got to be on call for possibly three or four games in a row, if a guy pitches yesterday, there's no chance he's pitching today. Obviously, the roster size has a huge impact on pitching, as you just went through. But it it seems so tough where you have you have more position players as well, and there's guys who are going to thrive on playing every day. I got to think there's a lot of guys who don't play every day. So how does that uh, impact some of those guys who are looking to maybe get things going or find some traction? Yet they don't know if they're going to be playing or not on any given day. I would say that the players that that most affects are the catchers because at this level, nobody wants to have anybody catch uh, two days in a row. So most teams in this league are going to have three catchers. Uh, outfielders, they'll rotate guys in and out. So our roster currently has five outfielders. At the moment, we only have four active infielders. We have one outfielder that can play first base. But it's just a matter of being ready every single day. And, and one of the really cool things that keeps guys prepared is uh, our bullpen coach here is Jim Henderson, who many Milwaukee fans know as being a stalwart in the bullpen for a couple of years from 2012 to 2015. Jim doesn't really know how to throw batting practice because this is his first year not actually being a, a part of a, a major league team. So he still throws the ball pretty hard. So guys stay ready in BP because Henderson's throwing the ball pretty hard to him, and it's not like a normal batting practice where you're getting a lot of lobs uh, in from the BP pitcher. Hmm. But uh, everybody just has to have that be-ready-to-play-at-every-moment mentality. It also keeps guys rested as well. Uh, 
you know, guys play every day and they can get worn out, especially at this level when you get a lot of 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are not used to playing in these types of atmospheres. I want to start going through some of the guys, and you can probably guess who the first person I'm going to ask you about. It's uh, Bryce Terang. He did not spend much time uh, in Arizona, and he's now appeared in uh, five games with the Brewers. Seems like so far uh, so good. He's hitting 400, 8 of 20. What have you noticed so far in the very small sample size you've seen from Bryce Terang? He's an incredibly composed hitter, and a lot of young guys you usually see a lack of weight discipline. Bryce doesn't swing at many bad pitches. He's got a really good sense of what the strike zone is. He's been called out a couple of times on strikes on pitches that he truly believed were not strikes. And honestly, at this level where you have some inconsistencies in umpiring, you're okay with that because you don't want guys getting into habits where they're swinging at bad pitches consistently in two-strike counts. But Bryce is just a guy that knows what he needs to do every day he comes to the ballpark he has a routine. He's a really quiet guy. He makes a lot of great plays at shortstop. He's made a couple of critical errors in the past couple of games. But again, the guy is only 18 years of age, and I don't think a lot of people expected him to be at this level this year. Talking with Nestor Corridor, our manager, and most of our coaching staff, Terang probably was not going to come here if it weren't for the job in scope trade, which took Gene Carmona, our starting shortstop, who was a previous top 30 prospect, and sent him to Baltimore. And so the organization decided to give Terang a chance to shine here, and he's going to play pretty much every day at shortstop, batting second from here on out. And uh, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do moving forward. Uh, so far, so good, because the guy has truly got a major league composure at just 18 years of age. MLB Pipeline has uh, Chad McClanahan as the number 25 prospect in the organization, recently named to uh, the All-Star team. All-Star game is coming up here in a couple days. Tell me a little bit about this guy. His number is obviously uh, very impressive. So Chad is a second-year Helena Brewer, so it's his third year in the organization. Chad really struggled last season, especially with the strikeouts. He led the Pioneer League in strikeouts. He struck out 78 times in 60 games. Uh, this year, he's been exclusively a first baseman. Because of a couple of injuries, he's had to go back to third base, but he's felt a lot more comfortable offensively, knowing what his role is going to be defensively every day. He has a really good sense of the strike zone as well. He doesn't swing a lot of bad pitches. He still has a decent amount of lifts, but the power is all true. He stands at 6'5", around 215 pounds. Uh, he really can, every time he makes solid contact with the baseball, it's either going toward the gap or it's going over the fence. And Chad is a really good guy. Uh, he's an incredibly mature person for somebody who's only 20 years of age. I consider him a true student of the game. And I think he has a chance to do a lot of really good things moving forward. Strikeouts are going to have to come down, but... He does lead the club with 24 walks. So for a guy that is hitting 300 with an on-base of 390, you've got to be impressed, even though the strikeouts have been a problem. But he had only three homers last year. He's already got eight. He only had 30 RBI last year. He already has 34, and he's an Iron Man. You talk about guys playing every day, he is the only player in this league to have played in every game thus far, and he's only started, or rather he's only pinch hit in one of them. So he started 48 or 49 games. When you don't get off the off days, that's pretty incredible, especially for a 20-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned him repeating the league, and I think sometimes you see somebody repeating a short-season league and a red flag goes up. But to me, you got a 20-year-old. He's not going to be 21 till December, so there's still guys in the league who are older than him. It's not the worst thing in the world to, to repeat this league, especially when you're that young. 
And I think that the organization didn't feel like he was ready to make that jump to low A Wisconsin. So you look at the numbers from last year, you look at his age, and you figure it's a time for him to get better. And this season, he's gotten a lot better. He started the year on a 10-game hitting streak. He hit safely in 15 of his first 16. And everything that you see from the guy just says that putting him back in this league for his second year has worked. Now, there's a lot of speculation, I think, that he's going to end up getting promoted to Wisconsin before the year is over. And I think when you look at a lot of guys who come straight out of college, they're 22 years old and they're playing in this league and then 23 years old and they're playing in the Midwest League. To have Chad McClanahan possibly be playing in the Midwest League before he turns 21, that has a lot of good signs moving forward for a guy that I think is going to be a bright spot in this organization moving forward. And and you don't know how these guys are going to project, but everything that I've seen from McClanahan shows that he's on the right path to success. One of the guys that I've kind of kept my eye on in the organization for since last year, since uh, he joined the organization, is Javon Ward. And MLB Pipeline has him at number 26. More than anything else, last year when you were on the top 30 page, uh, there was a picture of him, and he was just kind of standing there, and he just, to me, physically he looked like an imposing presence. And that picture isn't his picture any, uh, up there anymore, but I always took note of that. And that's a really kind of dumb reason to take note of somebody, but sometimes I do dumb things. Uh, here he is. He's ranked number uh, 26. He's putting up some pretty good numbers this year. Uh, have you been impressed with what he's been able to do? Absolutely. And I think there's been a big adjustment from Ward from a mental aspect. And you talk about his imposing figure. Ward comes from an incredible athletic family. His father, Reggie Ward, was a wide receiver at Notre Dame in the late 80s. His college roommate actually was Tim Brown. His uncle, Mark Carrier, played safety at USC and then played safety for nine seasons in the NFL. So this is a guy that's got some really good genetics. Ward is a guy that really struggled in the first part of the season to really find out who he was because you look at his body and you look at his speed and you figure he should be a center fielder. He just doesn't have the defensive ability to play center field right now but he's gotten really comfortable in terms of playing left field, and he actually plays left field pretty well. He's got a decent arm, he gets good jumps on balls, and he's a smart guy. Uh, the thing about Javon Ward that i am really been impressed with is that he's cut down on the strikeouts a lot recently. Uh, he keeps the bats alive, he does whatever he can in order to extend into bat, and he's willing to go the other way. Uh, the power numbers were not there the first month of the year. He had two homers on the road the first two of his career. One of them, actually, his first career homer flew 460 feet. Hmm. It was a hanging breaking ball, but he just turned on it. The bat is there, and we had Mike Berger, one of the Brewers cross-checkers in town, uh, when the team was nogged in, and he told me, he said, the bat is absolutely there, and you know you can't project an 18-year-old at this point, but I would say that Ward is far ahead of where most people thought he would be at this point in time. I would expect that he starts next year in Wisconsin. He'll probably play the rest of the season here. But uh, Javon has actually started hitting leadoff over the past week. And that's something that he's really welcomed because it makes him think of himself as a table setter. And for him, confidence is key. When his confidence is high, he's the most hot hitter on the team. When the confidence is low, then not so much. But for me, Javon has really turned the corner mentally and he believes that he can be as good as everybody says he is. Somebody who's not with the team anymore, but he is a guy who had previously been there. He's since been pro to uh, Wisconsin, but I want to get your take on him, is Aaron Ashby. And uh, 
His numbers were only okay, 6.20 ERA. He had some good appearances in there as well, and his last appearance was his best when he went seven shutout innings, giving up just two hits. Was it really that last appearance and maybe something clicking in for him that uh, helped result in him uh, getting that promotion? I think for Atby, the stuff was always there. Uh, his biggest issue was fastball command. The early part of the season, he was missing up with his fastball a lot, and that caused him to get into two- and three-ball count where he'd have to leave something over the middle of the plate that would then get hit. For Aaron, though, in that last appearance, everything was just working. The fastball, he was keeping low, and he was getting ahead of hitters to the point where he could get two strike sliders or change-ups over and be able to either get a swing and miss or get weak contact. In that last appearance, he needed just 66 pitches to get through seven innings. He actually had five pitches in his last inning, uh, and to me, you know, he just was imposing on guys. He was willing to go inside on right-handers, which is something that you don't really see a whole lot at this level. Uh, so for Ashby, the stuff is absolutely there. It's a fastball that can get up to 95. The slider looks a lot like a curveball. He throws it from a hard slider grip, uh, but the makeup on him is absolutely incredible. Uh, he comes from a great baseball lineage. His uh, uncle, Andy Ashby, pitched in the big leagues for 14 seasons and was a big influence on his development growing up. They actually both went to the same junior college in Kansas City. So for Aaron, the sky is the limit. As long as the fastball command is in check, He's got some. He's got the opportunity to do something really special in the next couple of years. Mentioned when we were talking about Chad McClanahan that he was one of four uh, All Stars from the team. We'll go through the other ones and, and get your take on it and get your insight on each of them. Uh, catcher David Fry is somebody who's put up some nice. And you were talking earlier about how it's so challenging for these catchers because of the uh, uh, the, the, the lack of playing time and everything. But uh, Fry has appeared in uh, 16 games as a catcher this year, 40 games overall. Uh, 324 average. Uh, also has uh, played a little bit of uh, first base. What's what's this guy's future? And is he is he a true catcher moving forward? Is he somebody that might have to find a different position? Uh, obviously, the bat seems to be there in the early going. So David Fry was recruited to Northwestern State in Louisiana as a second and third baseman. He played there for his first two years and converted to first base. He got hurt during his junior year, and then his college coaches decided that. He might be able to catch. They had a need for catcher. So at the end of his junior year, he started to catch. So I would not say that Fry is a true catcher, but he's actually developed into being a pretty darn good catcher. He handles the pitchers pretty well. But he can play a good amount of first. Haven't seen him play any third yet this year. There hasn't been the need to. But Fry is a guy that is just smart. He is a true leader because of the fact that he never gets too high. He never gets too low. He doesn't swing at bad pitches. And he just finds a way to come up with a clutch hit whenever you need him to. You just have that certain clutch factor with a couple of guys, and you say, if you want one guy at the plate, who would it be? And for me, that guy is David Fry, because when runners are on, he finds a way to work the count. If he gets down with strike count, he'll foul a pitch off, and he'll make pitchers pay on mistake pitches. Uh, the guy that doesn't swing at many bad pitches, which is why his strikeouts are not that high, he does have a really thunderous swing. He swings with reckless abandon at times, which sometimes can be to his detriment. But if he swings and misses, it's not at a bad pitch. It's usually at a good pitch that he just wasn't able to time properly. LG Castillo, a guy who um, had an opportunity to play both football and baseball, uh, did not do that. Instead, uh, signed with the organization, and he gets into uh, the All-Star game. Tell me a little bit about him. 
So LG is a fascinating guy. He is somebody that nobody really thought was going to play a whole lot because of the way that the Brewers draft class ended up. He gets the assignment to come to Helena. A lot of people thought he would spend another year in Arizona. He got off to a really hot start to the season after not playing in the first two games. And the management here just said, well, let's keep his bat in the lineup every day. And LG is a guy that just pounds fastballs when he's able to get them on the outside portion. He's one of the rare guys at this level that's able to take an outside fastball and hit it harder going to right than he is to left. Hmm. And he actually is a guy that takes inside pitches and hits them harder to right than he does to left. He's one of the rare guys that I almost equated to Frank Thomas early in his career, the ability to take any pitch on any part of the plate and be able to go the other way with it. That's LG. Uh, he, his exit velocities on some of his at-bats are over 105. Uh, every time you hear a ball come off of his bat, you almost feel like it's got a chance to go out of the yard just because of how hard he hits it. Uh, the thing with LG is that he struggles sometimes with hitting the breaking pitches, but when he gets a fastball, he usually does not miss. From a pitching standpoint, uh, Wilford Solomon, and he's he's got 2.66 ERA in a league that it seems I read your guys' scores every single night on my post game show, and it seems like it's very common for it to be a thirteen twelve game or a nine seven game. I mean that's a that's an offensive league, and this guy's got a two point six six ERA. That's darn impressive. It's also darn impressive when you find out that one of his starts he gave up six runs in four and a third. Hmm. He's made eight starts here, and that's the only start in which he's given up more than two earned runs, and also the only start in which he's gone less than five innings. So in seven of eight starts, he's completed five or more, which in this league is very rare, and has given up two or less earned runs. He had an ERA of .93 through his first five starts. So that kind of gives you an idea of what Wilford's about. He's a three-pitch guy, and he's just a grinder. He's able to come back and get, get guys when he falls behind three and one. He's a, an extremely effective ground ball pitcher. Uh, he's had nine double plays turned against him so far this season, and maybe one of the best guys at fielding his position that you'll see at this level. And he's got one of the strangest pregame routines you've ever seen. If you're around the clubhouse, you know that starting pitchers, they want to just lock in and put the headphones on and, and just be by themselves. That's not Wilfred. Wilfred is as talkative of a guy as you'll ever find. He actually likes to dance with his teammates to salsa music in the clubhouse prior to games. You, that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. My job is to help drop the lineups in the clubhouse prior to the game, and so if there's music on, he'll come grab me and say, "Good, let's dance a little bit." And, and and it seems ridiculous when you think about it, but that's just Wilfred. He stays loose. He's so happy to be playing the game of baseball, a, a game that he loves. Uh, and he told me he said, "My idol was Roberto Clemente." Uh, obviously, never got to see him play, but he said that guy played the game with so much passion. I would not be doing him a service. If I didn't play it the same way, have you become a better salsa dancer because of it? Uh, no, uh, I have no feet. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, I I just go along with what he wants to do. Um, it's kind of one of those things where uh, he's the lead and I'm the follower. <laughs> that's great. That's that's a that's a fantastic story. I'm glad I'm glad you shared that. Uh, Pitchers in this league, any short season league, sometimes it's really tough to evaluate them because 
you'll have an 18-year-old kid out of high school who maybe struggles but is is a prospect and he's going to move through the system, and you'll have a 22-year-old or a 23-year-old fifth-year college kid, didn't get drafted, puts up great numbers, but he's out of professional baseball within a year or two. So it's always kind of tell you, you've got that dynam- dynamic going because of the wide range of ages that you're dealing with for uh, for first-year pros when you've got the different, you know, whether they're coming out of high school, juco ball, or out of a four-year school. Uh, who else should should Brewers fans maybe be excited about from a pitching perspective uh, who's on this team? One guy that really got overlooked is a guy named Michael Mediavia. He has a 34th-round pick this season at the University of Miami. If you were to look at Michael Mediavia after his sophomore year of college, you would have thought that this guy was a first- or second-round pick. At Miami as a sophomore, he had an 11-2 and record. He was a second-team All-American, and he had a 3.3 ERA. He was the ace of Miami staff. He comes from a three-quarter arm slot. I call him Mini Mad Bum because he wears number 40, but he also has that bum garner motion where he turns his back to the plate in the windup and then comes from that swinging three-quarter arm slot. The Hurricanes program decided they wanted to have him go over the top, and it proved to be a disaster. His ERA was over four and a half his junior year, and then he got bumped to the bullpen as a senior, which is why he ended up as a 34th-round pick. But the Brewers realized what he could be based on his first two years at Miami, and they moved his arm slot back into that three-quarter spot. And that's one of the reasons why he didn't start this season here. And he ended up starting in Arizona, pitched really well down there, and ended up getting the call up here. In seven and two-thirds innings so far here, he has struck out 11 guys and has walked only two. He's given up just two hits, and the one run that he allowed was the tie-breaking run that they put on second base to start the 10th inning here in minor league baseball. Uh, his fastball just has a lot of inside cut on right-handers. He throws a true 12-6 curveball, and he stands at 6'5", 225, so he's an incredibly imposing presence. He's a really nice guy to talk to. He's of Cuban descent, so he is fluent in English and Spanish. And I just don't know how so many teams missed on this guy. And uh, it might take him a little while to get to the bigs, but from everything that I've seen, his stuff has the ability to play in the major leagues. Great stuff from uh, Greg Moraz. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Greg D. Moraz. You spell Moraz M-R-O-Z. So it's Greg D-M-R-O-Z. Greg, if folks want to take in your broadcast, what's the best way to uh, do that? So, Matt, if you want to listen to any Helena Brewers broadcast, you can click the Helena Brewers page on the TuneIn app. You can also go to our website at HelenaBrewers.net. There's a link on the homepage to listen live. Uh, so we are streaming on the airwaves of the, the World Wide Webs pretty much every single night. All-Star break coming up, but pretty much flying every day from Thursday until the end of the season on September 6th. So go to our website, HelenaBrewers.net, check out the schedule, and uh, hope you guys can tune in for a game or two. All right, Greg, great, uh, great stuff, as I said. Thank you so much for taking uh, some time. Really cool to learn about uh, some of the players with the Helena Brewers. Absolutely, Matt. Happy to do it, and uh, thanks for having me out.
Greg Moraz joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Appreciate him uh, being on the program. First time guest, his first season broadcasting the Helena Brewers, and absolutely uh, appreciate him taking some time. Here's what's coming up uh, this week for the Brewers, Monday and off day. This is uh, The Brewers in July had no off days outside of the All-Star break. They played every other day in the month of July. I don't know how many teams had a schedule like that, but it was really, really tough and I know they had the slump right before the all-star break but all things considered they were able to fight their way through the month of July uh, they go 3-0-1 in their last four series uh, after the all-star break uh, and all said and done they're in pretty good shape right now as we talk on Sunday night sitting a game back in the NL Central and now from here on out they're going to have at least one off day every single week, and they're going to have two off days on some weeks as well. So that's going to do a lot. That's going to change some things as well in uh, the bullpen. You know, you look at a Josh Hader, and they'll still be careful with how much they use a Josh Hader. But when they were in that period of playing, of just not having any off days, they were not going to use Josh Hader in a tie game or a game that they were losing by one run because maybe you don't come back from that and then the next day you're up by a run and you really need him and he's not available. For the most part, that's still going to be true, but it's uh, it's not going to be as true because you're going to have off days. So all of a sudden, if you're sitting a day in front of an off day and Josh Hader hasn't been used for a couple days and you're down by one run in the seventh or eighth inning, you might go to Hader for an inning knowing that tomorrow's the off day and he'll still be good to go the day after. So having off days built into the schedule will impact this team and it will impact them in a very positive way. After the off day on Monday, they're going to have a three-game series at home against San Diego and then they go on the road for a, a pretty hefty road trip. Three in Atlanta, two in Chicago, three in St. Louis. And uh, that road trip is going to go from Friday, August 10th all the way until Sunday, August 19th. So they're going to be gone for quite some time. All right, once again, uh, thank you to my guests, Jim Goulart, and also uh, to Greg Moraz. Thank you to you for being tuned into the podcast. As always, if you need to uh, get some feedback to me, you can do so uh, via Twitter at Matt Pauly on air or via email matt.pauly at wtmj.com. And we will talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.